Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good evening, Andy. I'm very good, thank you very much. And yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Did you receive that short pass? I did, yes. Fantastic. And welcome all to part three of Book Corner with Andy from myfootballbooks.com and me, the Gabby Cabby, where we sit down uh, with a glass of something. I've got a little glass of red wine. What's your tipple this <laughs> evening? Uh, I, I've got a Diet Coke, would you please? <laughs> in sobriety, totally. <laughs> yes, I know. It's, uh, I'm not sure why I've ended up with this. I don't normally drink it, but uh, yeah, I've ended up with a Diet Coke this evening. And we mull, over, we mull over a load of books that we've either been <laughs> given, what Andy's been promoted through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram on his wonderful uh, pages, My Football Books. And the current view, uh, support your your project. We give you a shout every week on our weekly podcast with the Idle of yep. Hillsborough, Mr. Terry Curran. And you always give us your recommendations. Before we get into your recommendations this month, a little brief uh, history about myfootballbooks.com, your newsletter, your subscriptions, how people can link up with you. Your wonderful yep. badges, your mugs, your <laughs> merchandise, and your your bookmarker is still on page one hundred and five. I was wrong last month of Grandad. Oh. What was football like in the seventies? And I want what you've been reading this month as well. So firstly, <laughs> how can people connect with you, Andy? They can connect with me uh, while on the Twitter um, at my football books. I'm also on Facebook at my football books. And also have an account on Instagram as well. So, uh, but yeah, you can contact through there, but also through the website. So um, at uh, www.myfootballbooks.com. So uh, you can contact me through there, Gabby. Uh, um, yeah. And if people subscribe, go onto your yeah. website and subscribe. They have a monthly newsletter, which is absolutely fantastic. And I did interact with you uh, yesterday. Com- uh, commending yeah. you on such a wonderful website, <laughs> great presentation, and a great job that you do uh, promoting the book. So, what have you been reading this month? You know what I've been reading, absolutely zip, but I have done a number <laughs> of podcasts and looking through YouTube and interacting with um, with fans of Alan Hudson and uh, yeah. Terry Curran, etc., etc. So, what have uh, what have you got your nose into uh, this month, sir? Okay, well, like this month I've been reading, and what I'm currently reading at the moment is um, something slightly different, is Panini football stickers. I can't recall, we mentioned it last month, but it's the official celebration uh, and nostalgic journey through the world of Panini, So uh, and the sticker books, and you just open it, I'm looking at it now, it's just like it takes you, takes you back to all your memories of when you were a child, etc., and uh, probably, I'd, 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 I'd get one now if I knew where you could buy them, uh, really, but... Uh, it's just a trip through history, um, uh, and it's a fantastic read. 
Uh, and a couple of other books I've read this month is um, Be Good, uh, Love Brian. Uh, a chap called Craig, Craig uh, Broomfield uh, has written a book about him and his brother that was taken under uh, by uh, Brian Clough um, when, uh, yeah, many, many years back, of course. Uh, and a few others, really. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. It's been obviously been a fantastic year for football books again. And, uh, yeah, I've got a few on the go at the moment, and I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail, Gabby. Superb. We're just going to go through your recommendations this month, what you, you've sent us. Uh, yeah. Bloody Southerners, uh, the story of Brian <laughs> Clough and Taylor's days at, at Brighton Hove Albion, the Brighton and Hove Albion Odyssey by Spencer. Is it Vineyards or Vignes? I, I couldn't oh, pronounce his name. I'll probably get it wrong as well, uh, Gabby, but I, I think it's Vignes, I think. That's what I'm going for. So uh, it's, it's definitely Spencer. So, uh, <laughs> but I think Vig News is what I've got for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I got uh, on the current view. It's V I G N E S. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't pronounce the fur the Wonder Team, the Rise and Fall of Austria's Wonder Team by Joe Araf. Uh, I yeah. did stumble over the name on the current view as well. It's Genera Zone. I can't pronounce that word, but I'm I'm kind of guessing <laughs> that it's Austrian for the gen uh, generation of the Wonder I think Team. You're right. You know. Yeah, I've worked I think that you're out. right. Yeah, yeah. Cracking read as well. So uh, four eyes of that team, a cracking team in the 1930s. But uh, Gen- I'm not. I'm, I was going to attempt it, but I'm not. Um, but Gen- no, I'm not. <laughs> I was going to attempt it again, but yeah, the rise and fall of Australia's wonderful team. So cracking book by Joe Arafa that came out uh, in the summer of this year. So uh, and just um, again, when you think back to some of the teams, and it's led by the Hugo Mazel. Yeah, he was uh, yeah. obviously one of the yeah one of the most prominent um, figures in European football, and well, he proved heavily, hugely influential, uh, and he quickly became household name. That team did, um, defying all the odds, etc. So, but it's a cracking book. Takes you on a bit of a, a journey through a forgotten era, you know, examining um, the genesis basically of his side, etc., and the key figures and. Uh, yeah, and the historical importance of it, really, at the time of, uh, yeah. Absolutely, and, and, and a coach that was very instrumental even earlier than the 30s with the, the great yeah. Hugo Marzal was, uh, was Jimmy Hogan. And you do then send us an On This Day, and it was uh, it was the podcast we'd done on the 16th of November this year, and it was the very day that Hugo Marzal was born. So yeah. yeah, so uh, happy birthday back in November, eighteen eighty one to the wow. great Hugo Meisel. Uh, football's Braveheart by Mike Donovan, the story of one of the greatest football players yeah. uh, ever to grace a pitch, Dave Mackay, and yeah. then um, I think it was the early years of the FA Cup that you sent us. Uh, the British Army helped establish. The world's oh, yeah. first football tournament by James W. Bancroft, and you did send us the origin stories by Chris Lee, who's got a wonderful website, blog, etc. Outside yeah. right, but as yet we haven't recorded uh, episode ninety-nine of the current view, but we're hoping to get it back on track very soon. Excellent. Some cracking books listed off there. But yeah, come on, this one with that last one, the origin stories by Chris Lee. Yeah, he does outside right, which is another yeah great podcast. 
where he talks, um, yeah, about football from, well, he talks in the number of years and through the years, etc. But uh, no, great, great book, great listen as well. But the wonderful thing of all these books is the knowledge that these yeah. guys have got that have written these books. I mean, you read them. I look at the covers and I think they're very pretty. I have, <laughs> I, I have them in my collection. I'll give them a shout, retweet and share, et cetera, et cetera. But I just don't find the damn time to sit and read them. I wish that I could, but I don't. But I do have them for research purposes. And in, in terms of the origin story, I think the cover... Um, so let's just start with the, with this book. Uh, yeah. The cover is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. It's an yeah. old leather football with literally yeah. the world on the football, isn't it? It's it's just yeah. ge- it's just genius, and I love the colours as well. Well, it's pitch publishing, <clears throat> and obviously they're graphic designers. You can see a number of books that have come out. They, they obviously know what they're doing. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's really just stand out, etc. Um, but um, yeah, I think Peach Publishing have pulled it off again, really, haven't they? But it's, um, yeah, it's a crack and read. And just going back to your book, I think I'll have to set you a task for the next month, uh, Gabby, <laughs> to finish that book. So uh, get off page 105. Because <laughs> you've actually gone backwards. I thought you were 111. I know. One, so I, on, it, yeah. it was a mistake from me last week. <laughs> was it? I did. I know. I looked at the page. I thought, well, I've got to look. Am I past? I thought, blimey, it's hundred and hundred and six here, um, not um, not a hundred and eleven. So I thought, well, I'm sorry. I tell a lie. It's hundred and five. <laughs> I'm, I'm regret. I'm regressing as we talk. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, I do. Yeah, but going back to the origin stories, no, that's a cracking book, and you'll take your while, mate. This one's uh, almost 400 pages, but uh, it's brilliantly written as well. It takes you kind of, uh, if you link it back to the cover, the, like you say, the picture of the world, and it takes you round the world. Starts off in England, because <coughs> obviously that was where the football was founded in what's, um, well, it can go back many, many years earlier than the 18th century, kind of thing, but uh, England, and then Scotland, Wales, etc., and how it went around the world from there to South America, etc. And yeah, and its influence across uh, the globe, really. But it's a brilliant book, and it's really easy to read as well, the way he takes it through. And he picks out all those pioneers, the names you, you've heard of, some you've heard of, some you've not heard of, etc. But it's, it's, it, yeah, it's got a fountain of knowledge. It's incredible. And I know he's got, he's got another book on the way uh, next year. So I don't know what it's about yet. I don't think he's announced it as of yet, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But um, but I think it's, it's classic. The kind of books like this one, you know, there's um, so much to learn about the beautiful game. But, um, yeah, it gives it uh, such more depth, let's say. Yeah, I call these people the educators. They do podcasts. Yeah. They, they write books. They have full-time jobs as well, uh, some of them. And then yeah. you have people like me that do podcasts and are absolute <laughs> muppetry. You know, I mean, these guys have forgotten more than I'll ever know about the game. But but you're right. I mean, you look through and there's some wonderful pictures. I do like looking at the pictures in books. I can get the uh, the pictures. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. problem. Absolutely. Um, and there's a wonderful picture here at the early the early photo of the Sheffield Football Club, founded in 1887. 
uh, well, they're still going now, aren't they? So that they yeah. they would still be the oldest, but they're not a professional football club in the football yeah. league. And a picture here of the uh, ca- uh, Corinthian Casuals uh, on the return oh, yeah. to play the uh, Corinth Corinthians Paulista in uh, Sao Paulo in 2015 because there's a great little link up with the uh, Corinthian Casuals and the Corinthians. A lovely picture of Queen's Park FC from 1880 to 1881 and I could go on. Oh, Bohemians. I didn't realise that they were Dublin's oldest football team. Yeah, early 90s, early 1900s. Go on, have a guess, have a guess, have a guess. Oh, I'm going to say 1905. Six, oh, God, I'm out of 1905. So it, goes, oh, <laughs> so it shows you pictures of lots of, as you say, football's pioneers and the earliest teams uh, in the uh, respective countries. So well done, Chris Lee. And check out uh, at the Outside Right podcast. And while we're talking about podcasts and the Outside Right, got to give a, a mention to uh, these football times, another of my educators, yeah. uh, the, that yeah. gang of, of guys produce some fantastic podcasts and some fantastic books as well. They do, Gary Thacker, yeah, being one of them. So he's uh, he's wrote a couple of fictional books as well, as well as um, some cracking um, non-fiction books, uh, including the likes of The Beautiful Bridesmaids, Dressed in Orange, uh, about the Dutch team. So that's a... Uh, Another cracking cover as well, kind of thing. So, an old uh, photo of uh, Johan Cruyff, etc. But then uh, you've also got Stuart Horsfield. I think he's working on a new book as well, I believe, for the next year. Again, okay. I'm not sure what uh, what else on, but his book um, that was one of our picks of last year, as 2020, is uh, 1982 Brazil and the glorious failure. So, uh, it's one of those rare stories where the team that didn't win it was probably more famous than the team that did win it. Uh, it was Italy, of course, wasn't it, in 82? But yeah. all remembers the Brazil team of that World Cup. So, no, great, great, uh, uh, these football times, great um, podcast and collection of writers there, definitely. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because people do uh, mistakenly say that you <coughs> never remember the uh, the runners-up. Well, I remember yeah. Hungary in, 50, yeah. in 54. I mean, I remember, yeah. well, I don't remember them, but I've read about them because they fascinate me. I do remember the uh, the Dutch team in 74 uh, and also the Dutch team in 78. And I remember the Brazilian team in 82. So pretty much in my informative years of watching World Cups, I remember <laughs> the losers more than the winners <laughs> because of what they gave the game. And I think exactly. that it, it's very easy to forget teams and players, even though they're winners, but they didn't... Yeah. They didn't entertain you, and I think that within the the confines of of those three, Hungary, Holland, yeah. and Belgium, they entertained and they left that indelible mark uh, on did. our game. And there's some fantastic books that we can look at, we can read, we can share, and people can read how fantastic yeah. those people, players, and an event was. There's actually a book on there called The Jaws of Victory, uh, Take from the Jaws of Victory. Uh, I'm not getting the full title quite right, but um, there's a book that came out uh, last year which talks through all those clubs that you've listed there that uh, the near uh, nearly run teams, etc. 
And uh, yeah, if it's like, like you've listed, there's a catalogue of them, isn't there? But you remember them fondly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, even if they didn't get their hands on the glory. Well, you, we did mention but, Brazil in 1982. And I'm gonna, yeah. I've got a book here. I was looking through, I was looking through YouTube last night, and uh, I, mm. I, I uh, typed in Garinja, and I watched a, oh a, yeah, yeah, I watched a YouTube clip about some fella that was trying to educate everybody about Garinja, and uh, it started off where he says, "Well, Garinja, he got his name because he was little and he's a little bird." Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, 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 never, no, never. <laughs> Garincha actually means little bird in Portuguese because there's no Brazilian yeah. language. They, they they take the Portuguese language. They're the only uh, country in South America that do so. The rest, are, you know, have Spanish um, as, yeah. as their language. So, yeah. uh, and Garincha does mean little bird. Is absolutely correct. But he was given that nickname because Garincha liked to shoot little birds. Yes. They were wrens. Uh, or or a bird that was like a wren. It was a little bird uh, that's in Brazil, and he used to like to go out with a rifle and shoot them, and that's how he got his name, Garincha, yeah. a little bird, by shooting wrens. He actually shot football players. I mean, not, you know, with a rifle, <laughs> but he shot many down, and he, he particularly did. in the 1962 uh, World Cup finals, and many yeah. Brazilians would argue that Garincha was the greatest Brazilian ever. He was born yeah. with a spine injury, and that's why his one leg was longer than his other leg. Uh, if you're looking yeah, it looked at... as if he could barely walk, didn't it? But with a ball at his yeah. feet, he was, he was had such a poise, didn't he? An elegance about him. But, but yeah, you forget about a lot of the uh, injuries he had. I think uh, that when, when you it... look at... People and re- I mean again I I started reading the book I read it up to he lost his virginity uh, with a goat but but apparent, <laughs> apparently that wasn't that book, uncommon yeah. uh, for young Brazilian boys back in those days um, yeah. he was from a, a, his relatives were a <laughs> tribe of Indians and uh, it, it, yeah. it's uh, Roy spelled R U Y Castro that, that yeah. wrote the yeah. book. And he was, as I was reading it, as I was understanding it, he was pretty much saying it's it's unbelievable, really, because the one tribe were cannibals. It's amazing that they never ate each other. Yeah. And, and yeah. that, you know, in South America in those days, that's what things were like. But it is a great read. I mean, he was an alcoholic. Um, he died yeah. very young. Um, I believe he literally fathered an, an, an unbelievable amount of of children and he was an yeah. absolute character but as um as his teammate said on on the documentary that I was watching of Grincha mm. he wasn't the sharpest tool in the box and when they absolutely smashed uh, Russia and sent him home he, he said well what are they doing going home when's yeah. the second leg <laughs> no 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 yeah. world cup you played him yesterday we knocked him out they're going back to Russia Oh, okay. And he would he would sometimes not turn up and and be playing football with the local kids on his beach. I mean, Garincha was just a yeah. I think when you're looking at football mavericks, which I love mavericks, yeah, I think he was Garincha was up there, probably oh, the godfather of the mavericks. So, guys, check that out, Garincha, little bird, the triumph and tragedy of Brazil's. We- forgotten hero and he was he has been forgotten 
Definitely, and it's definitely one of those books, really, that literally doesn't, you, we can't do it, I don't think, really justice talking about it. It's one of those books you've got to read, really, to some of the stories. It's just like, you know, it's, it's definitely, you read it, you're thinking, is this for real? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually for real. It's phenomenal. And like you say, what a maverick. And uh, sadly, there's a bit of a theme, isn't there, with mavericks, like when you think of Georgie Best, etc. you know, the alcoholism, etc. But, um you know, in terms of uh, the love of the game, etc. You know, like um, you, what you picked out then, he was one of them, definitely, wasn't he? So, uh, but yeah, and died sadly at the age of 49. So, I feel cool, yeah. Um, so, yeah, far too young. But what a career, what a, what a what a biography that is. Definitely, it's one of the top ones out there. Yeah. Recommend I th- it. I think you could, I think you could mm. say without any fear of doubt, that Garincha crammed more into his short life than most oh, yeah. would have crammed in if they'd lived to about a thousand years of age. Yeah. You know, he was <laughs> uh, he was just... And the term maverick is uh, he, he's given in a derogatory and, and also in um, a, a godlike uh, manner as well. For me, it's a godlike manner. Maverick means Definitely. to me um, somebody that is uncontrollable, uncoachable. They do things off the cuff. And that's what football is all about for me. And that's why I like to watch players like that that can do things out of the ordinary and aren't just a component of a team. You know, Grincha, you would say to Grincha, the team talk literally would just go and play some, play with a smile on your face because you can't, you can't coach, you can't tell a player like Grincha how to play football. He was just a one-off, so uh, yeah. Whenever we think of football, whenever we think of the players we watch, you always think of that one player that stood out you know what I mean, doesn't it? You, watch, you literally almost watch that, that player. As the rest of the game's going on, you watch him being transfixed, don't you? So uh, you think of the, the, the Mavericks, as I'm sure you've read, but Rob Steen, when he talks about um, the flamboyance and some of the flair players like yeah, Alan Hudson, obviously Rodney Marsh, Charlie George, yeah, the list goes on, isn't it? But they've all got that kind of... Uh, jet. Frank Worthington, one of the six out as well for me. Is they've all got that little bit of a there's a magnet about him, isn't there? That traps your eye, kind of thing. And it's just, um, yeah, and that's a cringe. Fits nicely up the top there. Absolutely, and Stan Bowles was, was was a maverick, and Stan Bowles, yeah, yeah. Tony Curry was always deemed a maverick. He was on the pitch, but uh, but Tony wasn't a maverick off the pitch. But again, these are players yeah. that just gave us things that were special, and we will forever remember them. And I just think that it is sad that when people talk about who's was the greatest player ever, and they go, "Well, Messi is the best ever," or Ronaldo is the best ever, and the likes of Di Stefano yeah. and Puskas and players of the fifties and sixties are off often uh, forgotten and uh, it's really yeah. unfair because I think if you could put in a, a time vault and move Garincha to like you know in a, a modern day football tardy yeah. and put him yeah. there today on the football pitch he probably would be the greatest player on the planet well, bar none absolutely you talk about the football pitch and I'm sure Messi and Ronaldo they're fantastic footballers and they're collapsed but yeah. the pitches used to play on were not the quality of the pitches that I play on now are no. they they're not these uh, you know these uh, perfect turfs you know especially in the well in the 70s and the 50s etc the pitches were you didn't get much grass on them did you many of them so uh, and the likes of Grincher they played on the beach didn't they etc so uh, yeah. 
<laughs> so that's why they learned the game. But yeah. To be fair, though, what I've looked at Garinter, if they had grass on it, he'd probably smoke it, wouldn't he? <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Uh, what a character. Yeah, that's my yeah, that's my first, my opening book. Uh, what have you got for us? What have you brought to the party? Because this is very much unscripted. Uh, I don't even yeah. have any bullet points. I'll just bring a, a number <laughs> of books that I have a look at. I want to talk about the uh, Major League uh, Soccer, the, the Cup Final, uh, this Saturday. But what have you oh, got yeah. for us, Andy? What's um, what's your first book? What have you um, sourced well, for us? Well, thank you for your comments about my newsletter. I sent out monthly as well. I'll probably it's brilliant, mate. That. Thank brilliant. you. Thank you very much. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, obviously, if you just... Uh, Go to the website and subscribe. It's, you know, there's no charge or anything like that. You literally just uh, subscribe on there and I do it on the first of every month as well. So, uh, but if I just mentioned on that, there was three of that I picked out for this month. Um, first one being the Beautiful History. Uh, it's by guys called Martin uh, Routledge and Elspeth Wills, uh, and it's basically it's one of these. It's a picture book in many ways, so uh, you know it's obviously got a lot of uh, words in it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it, I, I love my history as well, kind of. Thing. If it was a topic outside of football, I'd pick it. Be history. I've always had a bit of an interest in that as well. So, uh, but it's kind of links to both, and it talks about the uh, football club badges. It tells the story of Britain, and uh, it's just uh, really clever. The guys that do the two of them, they did uh, another book uh, a couple of years back called The Beautiful Badge. Uh, and it's just a stunning-looking book. And this one is illustrated by a guy called Adam Forster, and it basically tells the story of Britain, but through club badges. It's a unique way he's done it, and uh, and he does it in particular order, right from the prehistory through to the Romans, the Normans, Tudor, etc. But he picks out how you know, like the emblems. Uh, yeah. um, so that what you get arms. on like a yeah that's mm-hmm. it code of arms it links it back to yeah. where that came from etc so uh, it's just fascinating it's a brilliant idea um, but it's yeah it's a cracking um, cracking history lesson as well so uh, it links all of them things as well but beautiful really well presented again pitch publishing but a really nice well presented book as well so that'll be my first one I'd pick out and that came out uh, I'm not sure yeah it was earlier this year. So, uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's like it says in the back, holds all the answers and links to football. So your key dates are 10, 66, 15, 88. It's just unique, absolutely unique and uh, really clever them duo. So that's one I'll pick out, beautiful history. Um, the, uh, the number one I'd recommend is uh, it's called 32 Programmes by Dave Roberts. Now, sadly, I picked I pick this one because sadly Dave um, Roberts, um, he passed away just a couple of weeks, less than two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, so um, um, so I want to pay a homage to him. He's a, a wonderful football author. Uh, he wrote a number of books, not just on football, um, but the one book he wrote which shot into fame almost was called The, the Bromley Boys. Uh, yeah, and it actually that. turned out to... Yeah, the, yeah, you probably have. I think it's around yeah. like 2006 when he wrote it. And only a couple of years lo- later, it was um, turned into a film. A uh, feature film, um, and um, I think I'm trying to think who was in the film. It was Alan Davis and Martin McCutcheon from EastEnders. They were in it. So uh, don't ask me, yeah, I, sh- I don't even watch much TV. <laughs> <laughs> but now he turned into film, and it's about him when he was a child, when he grew up and supporting Bromley FC, etc. But a brilliant book, and he wrote a number of other books as well. And uh, the one I'm picking out is 32 Programs, which is such a 
it sounds, when you say it's a book about 32 programs, you're thinking, well, that can't be really the pull of a story. But it's brilliant. It's the way he does it, because basically he's relocated to uh, to America, to USA, and his wife informs him, uh, Liz, that he's, cause he's been, got a collection of over a 1,000 programs, and he tells him, you can't take all of them with you, and he's got to reduce it down to 32 programs uh, so he can fit it in this Tupperware box container and take it with him. And uh, but he, it's the way he writes. He tells why he picked those thirty-two programs, and it's like a, it's it's just a little bit about his life story, and uh, why and the programs and what they mean and link to him, etc. Uh, and it's quite a romantic story as well. But it's an absolute brilliant read. Uh, thirty-two programs, and if you if you, even if you look on Amazon, uh, you you see it's five-star ratings, uh, and there's not over a hundred odd kind of recommendations. But brilliant book, brilliant author. And um, the heart goes out to his uh, his wife, um, Liz, and his family. So it was such sad uh, news when I heard he passed away a couple of weeks ago. So uh, not that I knew him, but I interacted him every now and again through Twitter as well. So big shame, but I suppose if you could take anything from it, his words will live on. Uh, and uh, yeah, so fantastic call for Dave Roberts. Hey, um, hey well said, so, Andy. Uh, and um, so, and the next uh, third one I'd recommend for this month is um, Daniel Gray. So Saturday, three p.m. is called. And he, Daniel Gray is a brilliant writer. Is these are little books? Um, when I say little, they're like handheld, but uh, it's a, it's fifty stories basically. The delights of modern football, and it's um, and if I exp- if I can explain it on the back, um, you've got a a quote that says, Gray writes like Lowry paints. Wow. Superb. He is. He's got an mm, unbelievable way of words. Absolutely brilliant. It's the things that you know and you realise kind of in, but you never kind of realise it in a weird way. Um, so he picks out the kind of delights of going to the game. So yeah, I can, in this particular one, so he's, he's done other books as well, but he says about when you when you see the ground from the train the first time, and he just writes how uh, our mate, how our makes you feel, and we've all got our own pre-match routines that first day of the season. And another one he's got in here, and he talks about um, when you hear um, Jimmy Armfield's voice and how it makes you feel. So, um, uh, and it's just little stories like that which makes you, do you know what I mean? It's just uh, yeah, it's about the little things that you love. The Jimmy Armfield. I'm just trying to get the quote up so he talks, he mentions in here. Because uh, Jimmy Armfield, there's certain commentators, you know, when they got, you know, when you hear them, mm. it does whisk you back a little bit, doesn't it? When you watch some of the old um, clips, etc., from the football, but he spots here Jimmy Armfield's voice. Sometimes when I hear Jimmy Armfield speak, he, sometimes when Jimmy Armfield isn't speaking, I swear I can hear him smile. Yeah. <laughs> I love that line, mm. uh, and um, yeah. So when you but when you hear his voice, it's like. So you're listening to a bit of a love letter of the game, etc. But brewing bulk, yeah, Saturday three pm. So uh, um, all about, yeah, yeah, little that's, story. That's when football should be played on Saturday at three pm. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're talking about Jimmy Armfield there. I was given yeah. a book. I went to um, uh, an, uh, a tribute night for uh, Aston Villa winning the football league in 1981 and then winning the European Cup in 1982 and it was a wonderful evening at the Britannia Sports Bar in Wollaston that was part one I'm going to part two next Monday 
And um, Jimmy Armfield there, as you, you referenced, uh, David Lane from Pitch Publishing gave me this yeah. wonderful book. He gave me a couple of books. I'm going to talk about the others uh, shortly. But the first one is Tottenham's Three Lions for Club and Country by John Chambers. And it's like everything that David does at Legends mm. Publishing. Absolute quality. The, the the pages are wonderful. The yeah. the presentation, the content, just fantastic. And it's a it's a coffee table book. It's one of them books that I like because you don't have to read it from page one through to the, the end of the book. You can dip into it, and I dipped into it on page one hundred and thirty three, and it's the England team. It's a photograph that started the first match in the 1962 World Cup in Chile. Back row, Jimmy Armfield, Bobby Moore, Maurice Norman, Ron Springett, Ron Flowers, Ray Wilson, front row, Jimmy Greaves, Brian Douglas, Jerry Hitchin, Johnny Ains and Bobby Charlton. Now, Jimmy Greaves always said that the best team ever to represent England was in 1962, and I won't yeah. disagree with that, given the names in, in that photograph. I didn't see them, but I've read about them, and they are absolute legends, every one of them. In fact, when I'd done a recent podcast with uh, Big Ron, he named his all-time Aston Villa eleven. Jerry Chins was his central striker with Andy Gray. Excellent, excellent. I know, great history there. Great team, wasn't it? A lot bigger, obviously, you pick about... The team for four years later, don't you? Sixty-six, not the same because of course yeah. what they achieved. But yeah, it's quite. But I do record. think there's an argument there that the 1966 World Cup obviously was a home tournament for England. Had those boys in 1962 had played in '66, they couldn't, of course, because they were. It was four years on, and you know those players were in their pomp at that time. But when you look at we won it in '66, there's an argument the team in '62 in Chile. And 1970 in Mexico were greater sides than the team that actually won it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And again, yeah. going back to what we were saying about Hungary and Ireland and, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the wonderful Brazilian teams, it isn't always the team that wins it that we remember or the team that played the best football. But um, those those icons of English football of 62 and 1970, I think well, that are forgotten and they shouldn't be because I think that there's an argument that they were better than the boys of 66. Definitely. definitely. You could bring it up to a modern kind of, I think probably about 15 years ago. Do you remember we had the, I can't remember what they used to call them in England, but uh, you had the likes of Beckham, Gerrard, Lampard, Scholes. Names are cre- incredible, aren't they? But... They never achieved anything, did they, on the international stage? Mm-hmm. But it's a great collection of footballs. It just, in some ways, reminds me of that, doesn't it? So they never quite achieved what they should have achieved. Absolutely. Really, so. yeah, yeah, I mean, the, again, this is football. Because what what happens is people do tend to forget that you might be watching your football team, but they're playing against another football team that equally wants to win it, and they've got some great players as well. So, you yeah. know, you can have an off day in a cup tournament and you get knocked out. Whereas you can then sometimes play really poorly and then get the rub of the green and go through. And sometimes in a cup, you can get your way to the final and then win it. You have something fortuitous and you you go on. And then your names are always remembered because you won. But 
for me, that that's not the way. I remember the teams and the players, whether they won, they lost, or they drew. Um, yeah. Because it isn't just the winners that we remember. For me, it isn't. It's what you do with football. Yeah, and you've really got to books. It's the stories they make, isn't it? Really, Absol- absolutely. And yeah. another book from uh, the wonderful Legends Publishing here, from my good friend. Uh, Colin Abbott. He's Aston Villa the first 150 years. And I turned it to page 167. And at the Yorkshire Evening Post, the 20th of December, 1911, uh, there's a piece in there. William McGregor, the father of the Football League, died at his residence in Hansworth, Birmingham this afternoon. Right. And, and outside Villa Park, there's a statue of William McGregor. And have a guess how old he was when he died, because we tend to think that these people, like the father of the game, he must have been like really, really old. Yeah, you do. Well, but you know, he wasn't. I, I, you're giving me a bit of a hint, man. So what? What? Forty? He was sixty-four years of age when he died. Sixty-four. Yeah. I mean, that's no age. I mean, okay, back then it probably was a ripe old age, you know, in the early 1900s. But, you know, you you look at McGregor and you think this old bloke, this father of the game. But, yeah, he was only 64 years of age when uh, when he passed away. So a wonderful book by uh, by Colin, by John Farrelly and John Russell, published by the fantastic Legends uh, Publishing Company, and it, it's it's just another coffee table book that you can flick through with. Again, my kind of book, lots and lots of pictures and uh, little is- captions about Aston Villa through the ages. Um, and he's doing another book that's coming out, I believe it's 2023, which coincides with the 150th anniversary of Aston Villa that were formed. I believe it was the 20th of November, uh, 1874. So 23, 24, that'll be the 150th year. Fantastic. Yeah, what a history as well, isn't it? So, uh, but no, ladies and publishing, just to echo what you're saying in terms of their books, they're always just great quality, aren't they? They are classic. Um, your coffee table books when you walk into someone's house and you see it on the, you go, oh, what's that? It's one of them colour books, isn't it? And you pick it up, and like you say, you can easily pick it up, look at it, walk away, come back, etc. Uh, but quite often you get transfixed in some of these books, especially the the ones that um, like that the, the Villa book. So I know I know which one you're referring to as well. You kind of get lost in the photos as well, don't you? Uh, in terms of the history that's involved, etc. So, um, but no, fantastic. Uh, could I just mention as well, I don't know if you were going to mention it, but there's another book that I got um, recently from Legends Publishing, um, which again is written by Colin Abbott. Uh, it's Barton's Army. Thank you very uh, much, sir, because I was just going to mention that, but you please mention it. <laughs> yeah, it's the Barton's Army conquering Europe with Aston Villa. So uh, um, I, I was, um, I've only glanced through it, so I've not read it in full, but again, it's obviously the story the European Cup um, triumph in 1982, uh, obviously Aston Villa's finest hour. Uh, and it's written by, well, it's a combination of stories from the Aston Villa armies, it says on the front. And it takes you through the, uh, really through the games and the, the stages, etc. It's just great photos in here as well, isn't there? You've, obviously you've seen it, so uh, just uh, great memories. It's, it's brilliant that he's managed to keep a lot of these photos as well. Really, so uh, I'm not sure what I did when I was at that, you know, that age, etc. But yeah, it takes you through um, from Dynamo Berlin, then to Dynamo Kiev, Anderlecht, and obviously 
that final um, when they, yeah, they achieved the, uh, the ultimate goal. They certainly did, and I've done uh, a couple of podcasts with the uh, the class of '81, and and that team that won the league in '81, first Villa team for 71 years, uh, when they took the title at, at Highbury. Uh, they then went on to win the European Cup, and what we also do tend to forget, they beat Barcelona three nil and took the Super Cup as well. So Villa yeah. took everything. Sadly for Villa, they did get beat against Penarol, uh, so they didn't take the the world. Uh, cop in, in club terms if you like but uh, they, they certainly did the football league they then went on and won the European Cup and then they won the Super Cup but I've done some wonderful uh, podcasts in particular with uh, Dennis Mortimer and Tony Morley to date and Dennis has taught me through all of the rounds of the European Cup so if you go on to SRB Media you can listen to Dennis relive those halcyon days of Aston Villa. And I think Colin has encapsulated it fantastic. And it's yeah. through the eyes, um, excuse me, of the fans as well that that yeah. were there through those those times of, of winning the league and, and then going on and winning the European Cup. And it's, it's their stories and it's a, a fantastic yeah. book. And Colin was there that night and I hadn't met Colin before. The first thing I do, I went and give him a cuddle because he's a, he's, a, he's a great lad. And there's another book that he wrote, the big Aston Villa book of the 70s, which leads me nicely into my my author of the week uh, feature, which is Mr. Roy Cavana, MBE. No other... No, uh, well, he, he should be a sir for what he's done, but he certainly is a member of the British Empire. And I caught up with Roy, and uh, he told me all about the Manchester United uh, book of the 70s. And w- welcome, Roy Cavana, sir. How are you to Book Corner? I'm, I'm very good and uh, delighted to be here with you, uh... Paul, it's uh, it, it's really enjoyable. I, I enjoy the, the the crap when I'm on here. You are my uh, author of the month. We do this we do this regular uh, monthly <coughs> podcast now with uh, Andy from MyFootballBooks.com, who promotes some wonderful football books. You have written so many fantastic football books about Manchester United. You've been so kind in sending me so many books. We've hooked up many times now doing podcasts. So we're going to be, for the first 10 minutes or so, just on Book Corner with Andy, passing ourselves back to Andy. Then we're okay. going to be talking more in length about the Manchester United book of the 70s so first and foremostly legends publishing how can people purchase the book is the first question because that's what we want it to do we want it to fly off the bookshelves (laughs) but Roy we don't want it to fly too too quickly off the bookshelves because it could break your ankle or break your toe if it falls on you (laughs) 410 pages and uh... Hundred glossy coloured pictures, um, which for the seventies is a uh, you know remarkable really because you know obviously there's still a lot of black and white around uh, at the beginning beginning of the seventies. But yeah, it's available from uh, legendspublishing.net. Um, it, it is also on Amazon, so you know either way. But um, direct from the publisher, legendspublishing.net, um, or if you put the title of the book, Manchester United Book of the Seventies. Um, I'm sure you'll find it on Amazon as well. How long did it take you to 
put this book together because all of um, David Lane's books put, uh, from uh, Legends Publishing, they are not just books, they're works of art, they're coffee table books, but you do need reinforced glass on that coffee table <laughs> because they are so heavy. They're just yeah. wonderful, aren't they? Yeah, it does tremendous uh, public um, publications and um, is, is meticulous with um, the, the, the coloured pictures, which is tremendous. It, it actually, I suppose, actual writing, uh, probably 12 months, because I, I actually concentrated on that as opposed to other things, um, you know, when I had spare time and yeah. weekends and whatever. Um, but, of, of course, you've then got um, the check-in, which can take as long as the writing. Um, especially when you've got statistics and things such as that. I, I, w one thing I learned very, very early in um, in writing books, uh, Paul, was once once it's published, it goes invariably goes on the bookshelf because if you open it and there is spelt wrong, as was spelt wrong, which is a bad word for me. I, I must admit, my wife helps me out greatly with that. H-A-S or A-S, that one. I, you just have a phobia about it. And then if you, you know, you read something and it's Y-O instead of Y-O-U for you, for you, there's nothing you can do with it then. You know, it, it's there. So um, I, I'll just tell you a very quick um, little thing which changed it. One of my early books with Fred Eyre, who we spoke about before, um, you know, I, I don't want to, in a way, he was a journeyman football because he played for 26 clubs. But he, he was a decent player, Fred, and he, he was, he's got a great talent uh, as after-dinner speaker. Um, and, it, and his writing is, is funny, he's got a quick wit. And we wrote this book together, and uh, it was called uh, What a Game. And in it, uh, one of the things early doors that I, I didn't check as much as I, I, I should have done was pictures, because you've got the picture, and then you've just got a small caption underneath, haven't you? Yeah. Um, Paul passes to Roy, bang, whatever. And this picture um, said um, one of the city when they won the league in 68, they won at Newcastle 4-3 on the last day. And I'm sure it says something like, some of scoring the fourth goal. And all that there is on the picture is the net and the ball going, going in, the, <laughs> in the net. So, you know, that, after that I'm thinking, uh, better check picture captions after this. Yeah, they can catch you out at times, but it was still Summerby scoring the goal that hit the back of the net. It's a little bit like Puskas's goal in 1954 in yeah. Bern. You know, yeah. there was no evidence of him actually <laughs> kicking it, but then when they picked the ball out of the net, yes, we're back on. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're back on filming now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, absolutely. You know, because you do a lot of you know Man City referencing as well in your yeah. books uh, because you're a you're a football fan of Manchester United you're a Salford lad and you're a big cricket fan as well yeah. I do want to talk about the one game there involving City and Manchester United probably one of the most iconic games that that they've ever played was the game where Dennis Law scored the back heel goal yeah. that um Ultimately, I don't think it was that goal that relegated United, although lots of people seem to think it was. What was the story behind that? And I think they only played 87 minutes of that game. It wasn't actually yeah. finished, was it? 
No, you see, we, if we, we could have had the extra three minutes and one, two, one, and might have stopped up. That wouldn't actually have been correct. But uh, funnily enough, it was a, a club after your own art. Uh, it was your own Birmingham City. Yeah. Um, it was the first year, 73-4, of three, three up, three down. And um, United, Southampton and Norwich went down. Um, but Birmingham, they had two great wins. They won the last two games uh, comfortably. Um, so consequently, if United had a beat City, um, and, and I think Stoke on the last one, they still would have gone down. But it, you know, why spoil a good story? I actually was at the game, and I was right behind the goal. Um, we used to be the old scoreboard end at United. When, when in the days when it was open, you'd have a big open Stratford end, which was like the old ten, and you had a, a big open end where there was just a scoreboard. And then, you know, various cantilevers came round and covering came round. And the scoreboard end became what's known as K-stand. And in front of it was a standing paddock and behind it was uh, a cantilever stand. Uh, and I had a, a league, what was called a league match ticket book in those days uh, from when that opened in 72. So by this one, there was a, that was the second, third season. And I was halfway back right behind the penalty spot, if you, you know, a lovely elevated view. So I was right behind the goal. Um, and of course, um, Dennis just instinctively do, does what he what he did when he got in the six-yard box. He put the ball in the net. Yeah. Um, and I'm 99% certain of this. He actually turned round. The City players came to celebrate. But, you know, he, he just walked off. And he walked, because the tunnel in those days at Old Trafford was on the centre line. And he just walked and went up the tunnel. And uh, I'm pretty sure that was the last ball he kicked for City. And in fact, it may well have been the last ball he kicked in football league games because um, he went to the 74 World Cup with Scotland, I'm sure of that. Yeah, he did. And, but I don't think he played in the 74 five season. I've not doubly, doubly checked on that, but it, I, I'm pretty sure that was uh, you know, his, his, his last um, epitaph in, in, in football. And when he walked down that tunnel, do you know where he went? Yeah, I do, actually. He went into the United dressing room. He did, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then the United players were trooped in after him. They didn't say, what the effing hell are you doing in here type of thing. And, and they just sat down knacking around him. Yeah. It, it's, it's a cracking story, that, isn't it? Absolutely. He was in tears, wasn't he, Dennis? Yeah, yeah, Jim, Jim, McCallion, Jim McCallion told me, he said, we walked yeah, in after the game. Him. Yeah, because yeah. Jim, Jim played in that game. He said yeah. there, there was Dennis in the corner in tears. Yeah. And, uh, I went round, consoled him and that, and Tommy, when Tommy come in, because yeah. uh, we thought it was going to go a bit barmy, because like with Tommy, yeah. he'd, uh, did he sell him to City, or did he no. give him a free? It was a free, wasn't it? Yeah, he gave him a free, so yeah. he could go anywhere. Yeah. And, and City, who were, uh, a top, you know, they were a decent side in those days. You had Colin Bell and, uh, you know, still had Summerby playing for them. And uh, I think he'd sign... Oh no, they hadn't signed. Den- they might have signed Dennis Stewart. I, I, I can't remember. But um, you know, and Joe Corrigan was there, and Tommy Booth. You know, they were a decent side. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tommy Doc quite disgracefully really uh, let Dennis go on a free transfer. Mm. Now he did have a lot of injuries towards the end of his of, of his career and everything. But I don't think it was just the fact he gave him a free transfer. I think it was the communication of him giving him a free transfer, which was in doubt. Um, and, of course, I think it led to, um, you know, infamous uh, law cases where, <laughs> excuse the pun, um, 
uh, you know, cases uh, where Tommy Dock, Willie Morgan, um, you know, he accused him of lying and, and things such as that. And uh, I think the, the Dock was found guilty, actually. Um, but that, that is part of the book. If you want, I can I can tell you that part as well because it's, it's very interesting that um, the seventy three four season, sorry, the seventy three four season when um, you know they, they, they actually did get relegated. Um, that uh, the start of that season in writing it, I, I, it was one of the most I don't like using the word depressing, but it was one of the most awkward and um, no no way enjoyable writing about United. I mean, you can write about United and Birmingham or whoever you want, and they, they win and lose. But this, you you, you know, you, with the passage of time and remembering each game, you know, you looked at it and you thought, hang on a minute, we're starting the 73-4 season. Bobby Charlton's retired. Yep. Dennis has been let go disgracefully. Um, Georgie was on walkabout. Yeah. Um, we let Tony Dunn, who was a really top bloke, a top, top bloke, but a fantastic fullback. We let him go on a free transfer to Bolton, where he actually played another five seasons yeah. with Bolton. And then Cardinalson, Martin Buchan, who I had the privilege of meeting again last week um, to, to, to give him his copies because he wrote the forward. They moved Martin Buchan, who was as good a number six as any in the country, and arguably around, they moved him to number three, to left back. And, you know, young Jerry Daly was given his debut, he was only 18. Brian Greenoff was only 19. Sammy Mack was 19, 20, something like that. And, you know, you're looking at it and you're thinking, bloody hell, no wonder we, 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 you know, we're going to go down here. And actually, we just mentioned the man. We signed Michalio, Jimmy Michalio, from the Wolves um, around the February, March. And, um, you know, for that last two months, March and April, we played some really good stuff, and those were the best results we had. Um, and, and Jimmy made, made a heck of a difference. Um, we're going to pass back over now to Andy. You okay. and I are going to continue. But just yeah. before we do pass back to Andy, December the 22nd, 1973, Stoke City and Manchester United were level on points. Stoke went on when Alan Hudson uh, yeah. turned up at, um, at the Victoria ground in January 74 yeah. and got yeah. to Europe. And sadly for Manchester United, they got relegated. Yeah. But yeah. at Christmas, who was top goal scorer for Manchester United? It's quite incredible, isn't it? It's Alex Stetney, what was it? Alex Stetney, yeah, Alex Stetney, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, many thanks, Roy. A fantastic encounter, and uh, and uh, your memories of United of the 1970s. It was a truly pivotal decade for the Red Devils, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And just to have got about Roy as well. So, a prolific writer. He's what wrote over 20. 20 odd books, isn't he? I know six of them on Man United just itself. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what it was an interesting time, wasn't it, for Manchester United in the, the 70s yeah. in terms of the, the whole journey? And his book, uh, the big Manchester United book of the 70s, uh, encapsulates that in terms of the journey that they went, they went through uh, from start to finish. And uh, it's a, again, it's a brilliant coffee table book you know, in terms of the detail it goes into. And what always stands out for me as well when you look back at the you know, at that time. It's some of the attendances as well yeah. <laughs> after some of these games. So, uh, 
But I'm just, I've picked it random here. Look at it. Away at Norwich, 35,913. You know, some of the, the uh, um, home to... Um, uh, Sunderland. Sunderland, yeah. So you've got to get 50-odd thousand. It's incredible yeah. attendances, isn't it? So, uh, but yeah, quite a... Uh, quite a a decade, wasn't it, for Manchester United? So, um, but it, the, the book itself is brilliant in terms of taking that through that journey um, for the highs and lows, let's say. Yeah, they they were even the lows were quite high because they were only down for the so they were really pretty much on loan, wasn't they, to the second division back in those days? I mean, they got relegated in the seventy three seventy four season uh, at Stoke City. It was uh, Alan Hudson's mob that actually uh, beat them and, and relegated them. It wasn't particularly Dennis Law's back heel, although Dennis Law's back heel did contribute to it. Birmingham City beating Norwich on the last day of the season. I was there as a nine year old kid uh, we, we 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 went down one nil uh, after about six minutes it was either Duncan Forbes or David Stringer that scored the goal and then uh, Kenny Burns scored and Bobby Atten scored the winner for Birmingham City it kept us and uh, us up and United uh, got relegated but that season I think the dark had uh, pensioned off Bobby Charlton. I think Bobby had said, I want to retire. I think his his final game was at Chelsea in 73, wasn't it? So he, yeah. he didn't play that season. He'd, he'd retired. Uh, George Best, I think George had, had gone missing. And, yeah. um, and, and, and of course, Dennis Law got transferred to Manchester City and did score that back goal that led to uh, the, uh, the, the demise of Manchester United. But I, I caught up with... Um, with Jim McCallyog as well at Jim's book uh, oh. signing Wembley wins Wembley woes and Jim played in that game and he was telling me on the final whistle when United went to their dressing room who should be yeah. sitting there in tears but Dennis Law yeah or in the home dressing room in, in yeah in Manchester United's dressing room and uh, oh, yeah. yeah absolutely was absolutely gutted was uh, was the law man known to many as the king of of, of Manchester and. Talking of Kings of Manchester, I want to give another shout, a shout out to another book by Roy Cavanagh and Brian Hughes, uh, MBE. Um, Forward by Sir Bobby Cholton, who's a CBE. So, yeah, yeah. you know, he's, he's the only thing that Bobby Cholton hasn't got, I think, is the MBE that Roy Cavanagh's got. And it's Dennis Violet, the life of the legendary goal scorer. And, and, and in many respects, the forgotten forward of, of Manchester United was uh, Dennis Violet. What a player. And a, a lovely picture of Dennis striking the ball on the uh, the front cover. And in those days, the 50s, no badges. <laughs> so, so your book must have started, I don't know when, but no badges in the 50s there on the uh, United shirt. Yeah, prolific goal scorer, wasn't he, Dennis Violet? Incredible. So, uh, no, he was top goal scorer at Manchester United. For a good few seasons, wasn't he? So at least like a two or three, maybe. And then in '62, uh, he went. Uh, he left, and he went to uh, Stoke City. Joined Tony Waddington. Tony liked his strikers. He liked his inside forwards. And uh, and Dennis Violet, what what a player! I was too young to uh, to remember Dennis, but Rachel, his daughter, had done a documentary a few years ago called uh, A United Man. And that was a, a tribute to uh, a late father, the wonderful Dennis Violet, who had a, such a great career. And I'd done uh, a podcast with Roy Cavanagh, uh, Too Good to Be Forgotten, where I talked 
to, to Roy about Dennis and that's up on uh, on our socials so if you want to check it out on SRB Media on Facebook uh, scroll down and the interview that I've done with uh, with Roy is on there or just simply go to Spotify and uh, type in there either SRB Media or uh, Dennis Violet, Roy Cavana, whatever you do, that's the nice thing about the robots of the modern world. You have to type into a search engine, and they they present it to you like a, like like you would if we were sitting in a, a fine restaurant to our food and our drink. Robots are great. <laughs> they are absolutely. Dennis Violet as well. I just remember because um, he went over to the United States, didn't he? He went over to America, obviously after his um, playing career. Oh, I think did he finished his playing career. Sorry, he finished his playing career. Yes, he did. He went over there uh, to America. He, he he did come back and he played a little bit over here for um, one or two. Um, let me just find it here. Uh, Dennis Violet. Dennis Sydney Violet. Uh, born 20th of, of September 1933 in Fallowfield, Manchester. Uh, United Stoke. He went over to Baltimore. And then he come back. He played for uh, Whitten Albion and Linfield. It was Harry, yeah, Harry Gregg was the connection there that took him to Linfield. Played for England a couple of times, and then managed crew, uh, Washington diplomats, New York, New England team men, Jacksonville team men. You like the team man, team men did Dennis, uh, Jacksonville University, Richmond Kickers, and then Jacksonville Cyclones. But he was he was instrumental in the birth. Or shall we say the rebirth? Because America were playing uh, pro soccer back in the twenties. It pretty yeah. much collapsed with the Wall Street collapse in the thirties. But um, Dennis was instrumental in the rebirth of professional footballer NASL uh, in in America. Pioneer. Yeah, and that's how I remember, and it links it back to another book I can think of called the Rock and Roll uh, Rock and Roll Soccer by Ian Plantersleaf, which yeah. is about the the short life and fast times of the North American Soccer League. And, yeah, that's how, that's how I remember Dennis Violet as well. And yeah, like you say, it was, it was an instrumental part of that time when, uh, yeah, it was quite a... It was, it was entertaining, to say the least, in terms of uh, the amount of players they pulled over in that stage. Your Beckenbauer, your Kreuz, your Palais, of course, George Best, amongst other during the 70s. It was quite a razzmatazz, let's say. I think everybody <laughs> and anybody... That was a name in football played in America in in those days. It was yeah. uh, it was truly incredible. Um, you know, it, it literally was a a who's who of football, wasn't it? And the the greatest team out there, of, of course, in those days were the the Cosmos. And there's a good yeah. book with um, Steve Hunt on with the Cosmos that uh, that come out this year as well, didn't it? It did, yeah, yeah. Steve Hunt's last um, story, yeah, that came out. So uh, I think on the picture you got him being picked up uh, on the front of that book. Yeah. I think it's I think it's again pitch publishing, um, but he's being carried by a uh, Palais. I've not got it in front of me, but it seems to stick in my head. He's being carried by Palais, etc. But yeah, I'm with the Cosmos. That's it. It's just come back to me now. So, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think he started. I think he played at Coventry. He played in the West Midlands, man. Played the Villa. Uh, Play, played at Villa, played a couple of games at Villa, and yeah. uh, I was listening to Steve, um, can't remember, might have been on a podcast or local radio, and he was saying that he'd just had a call, do you want to come play with Pele? <laughs> and he'd only played a couple of games for the Villa, he was absolute Villa nut, and then when he came come back, he played at Coventry City, 
And they had a good team of Coventry. They had Steve Hunt, Andy Blair, Gary Thompson. Yeah. You know, I remember, and in fact, Gary, um, Gary Thompson, in fact, uh, Andy Blair was the host of the evening because Andy played in the European Super Cup game. And he was at yeah. Aston Villa. He, he, he joined Villa after uh, Coventry City. But Cov had a really good team in those days. And yeah. uh, and Unty was uh, was one of them, but it leads us nicely to on uh, Saturday, the December the eleventh at three o'clock Eastern time, Portland mm. Timbers take on New York City at Providence Park in the MLS Cup final. And I've got three books here by my good yeah. friend Adrian Webster, who was captain of Seattle Sounders in 1977 when they played soccer ball. Because in the NASL, it was soccer ball. It wasn't the MLS Cup. It was very similar format, but it was soccer ball. And uh, Seattle Sounders played the New York Cosmos. And everything that you want to know about that wonderful game, the players, uh, how the season went, the playoffs, etc., etc., Lovely picture here of Adrian's ring as well and Pele. And, and he's called the ghost because he actually marked Pele out of the game. He played against Pele a couple of times. Uh, Eternal Blue Forever Green, The Sounders in the 70s by Adrian Webster. And his book from 1968 to 2019, Circle of Life by Adrian Webster. And I, I was fortunate enough to um, cut a podcast with, with Aid about his career and it's a fantastic listen again it's on spotify or it's on srb media what a great lad uh, aid was start his career off there at colchester in fact he was there he didn't play that game he, he uh, moved to another club at the time uh, playing non-league football when colchester got beat uh, sorry colchester beat the great league united in 1971 all right yeah excellent did he did he play? He played. Um, uh, Adrian Webster played alongside uh, Pele, George Best. Did the team? Is that the Seattle Sounders? He played against absolutely everybody. I did in uh, yeah. in the seventies. As did Huddy. I mean, Huddy. By the time Huddy had got over there, um, Pele had retired, and mm. uh, some of the other players would, you know, didn't return because what a lot of them did. They went over in the close season. We had a lot of English players, didn't we, that played in the close season when it when our season finished. They went over to America and, and played over there. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely it's incredible. Now, but doesn't really happen now, does it? So uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't no, it, it's quite. I don't know why it's like that now because back in those days, um, America was the place that the players would go. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I think they earned decent money as well out there in uh, in America. And Johan yeah. Cruyff, um, I think Johan Cruyff had retired from football and come out of retirement and played out there in America. Um, I think he joined the Aztecs at first, uh, Johan did. Memory yeah. serves me right. But um, I think he lost a lot of money and, and, he, and he couldn't believe how much money they were offering him. So... Yeah, of course, I'm going to come out of retirement. There's a few things you want to, and some of them offer you a wad of money. You would do, wouldn't you? Well, so, uh, of course you would. You can't blame them at all. So, uh, yeah, he was at the Aztecs. Yeah, Los Angeles Aztecs. He was there for a while. And then they also went to Washington Diplomats. So uh, I've got his book here. He's autobiography in my turn, so that's I know. <laughs> so, uh, um, um, but yeah, before he went, after that, he went back, actually. He did go back. So he... Um, 
he played for uh, uh, back at Ajax and then he went to Feyenoord. He played there for a season. Uh, There's a Jackson. great book with this year, isn't yeah. that? Fierce genius. That's uh, it. Andy Bolland. Yeah, with uh, yeah that that talks about um, Johan's last year playing football because he played against Tottenham as well, didn't he? Either with yeah. his his last game in England was at Villa Park in 1978, but then. When he'd retired, he actually come out of retirement, played in America, and then come back. Didn't he? And he, he was yeah. playing at Ajax, and for whatever reason, I think he was about thirty-six. Ajax didn't want Johan Cruyff, so he said, "All right, if you don't want me, I'm going to go and sign for Feyenoord." Yeah, that's what he was doing. That yeah. went down well, I bet, in Amsterdam. <laughs> I can imagine, can't you? Absolutely, there's a bit of a robbery over there as well as just many parts. Just a slight one. Yeah, yeah, the big cities like that. But that book, the uh, my turn, the autobiography. Who was it with? Someone de Goit, de Goot. The what? Sorry, say who's again. The, sorry, who's the fella that he wrote it with? As a famous Dutch journalist, de Goot or something, wasn't it? Uh, my uh, turn. Yeah, it is Jack de Goot. That yeah. Jack de Groot. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, Jack de Groot. I know yeah, Alan Hudson's read that book twice. That's it, really? Oh, absolutely. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Udi, Now, if we were doing my football books and it was you and Alan Hudson, Udi could tell you all about football books because Udi is a great reader of football books. He reads everything. And Johan Cruyff was the greatest player that he ever played against. In fact, in 1970, they went to Amsterdam. He discovered Heineken and Johan Cruyff. <laughs> Unfortunately, they had a little bit too much Heineken before they played Ajax because Chelsea didn't realise how good Ajax were at the time because we didn't yeah. have the media, we didn't have the TV, etc. That, that we have today. And uh, when he looked up, he's seen this lad with a number 14 shirt. And he says to me, he says, Paul, I thought he was one of the substitutes until he started playing football. And Udi played against Johan three times. And I said to him, at the, the, I said, did you ever ask him why he wore the number 14 shirt, because I didn't know at the time. And Uddy said, Paul, I never got close enough to ask him that. What a genius. <laughs> and Uddy said to me, you had to be on the pitch to understand and appreciate how great a player Johan Cruyff was. Yeah, yeah. And he was confident in his own ability. I think we read that, uh, read his autobiography as well. So it's a good, really good book. He sometimes comes across as, um, but I think that's just his character, sometimes comes across a little bit... Um, Arrogant? Not on loop. It's not, yeah, arrogant. Mm-hmm. That's it. But it's not, it's not in a, in a bad, necessarily bad way, is it? Arrogance. Uh, it's a confidence, isn't it? Etc. I think uh, it gets misconstrued, and I think yeah. highly confident does sometimes yeah. come across as arrogance. And, and yeah. I don't think Johan was. I mean, he, he just tells the truth. I mean, if Johan yeah. Cruyff said, "I'm the best player in the world," who who are we to argue? Because he yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a bit like a bit like that with Pelix. I, I remember I've read a couple of reviews that people wrote about um, uh, Mitre and Johan Cruyff. It's similar to like Pelle actually about his autobiography that they say they come off come across a bit arrogant. But really, I think uh, actually if you watch a documentary, there was one recently on Netflix of Pelle kind of thing, and he's he's self-deprecating. He walks in the room, and uh, you know all his um, old teammates are there. He goes, uh, the best man's here, you know, he walks in, it's like that, but it, it, it's tongue-in-cheek, it's tongue-in-cheek, but everyone's sitting there, it's going, well, he is though, isn't he? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You're not going to argue. It's, I mean, yeah. like, like it, it gets me when people say that. I mean, 
who was more confident than the great Mohammed Ali? Yeah. You know, I mean, he told everybody for an age that he was the greatest, and you couldn't argue with it. So if you can actually back it up, it's when you've got some kind of no mark that kind of um, tries to tell people that he's the greatest footballer when clearly he isn't. But when Johan Cruyff or Pelle come out with, you know, I'm the greatest, well, they are. But Mohamed Ali used to do that. There's a great story in my latest uh, podcast, My Life, My Music, with Udi. When I said the first time I got a glimpse of you was 1973, when Chelsea come to town and beat Birmingham City 4-2. He says a great story about that, Paul. He thought it was Frazier, but it wasn't. I looked it up today. He said the day before, as he said to me, Al, would you fancy a drink? We're going to go out. And they went out yeah. and watched uh, Ali and Ken Norton. It when Ken Norton beat Mohamed Ali. He said oh, yeah. that the next day they come and destroy Birmingham City. I said, what is it with you, Woody? Every time you come to Birmingham and I watch you as a kid, you'd had an absolute skinful the night before. You played a blind and you absolutely smashed us. <laughs> Excellent. Players with adaptability, they can do it, can't they? Well, this is well, the thing with the Mavericks. They can, because you're yeah. right, they had that great ability. And the likes of Johan Cruyff had that great ability. And who can yeah. argue against anything that they say? Because they yeah. were the Mavericks. They were the best. They were the greatest. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. What else Excellent. have you got for us, sir? Uh, I'm just giving a shout out for a couple of other books, uh, yep. if that's okay. So, um, yeah, some books that there's come um, um Just talking about, I suppose, a modern race. And, you know, he's still uh, he's still fairly young, I'm trying to think. But Jack Grealish, this is a book that came out, Super Jack, called mm. The Jack Grealish Story, Britain's First 100 Million Player, written by Simon Goodyear. Uh, he's wrote a number of books. Um, yeah, he so, blocked me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he blocked me on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I must admit, I haven't got around to reading it yet, but uh, yeah, so it's about Jack Grealish. And uh, I think, do you know what I did forget? He started his loan uh, career at Notts County. Yeah, he did score a great goal for Notts County, his first goal. Mm. Yeah, I just don't see him. You assume, um, well, you think of his Villa days, don't you, of course? Uh, yeah, he played Gaelic that. football when he was a kid as well. What, sorry? Played Gaelic football when he was a kid. Did he? Did he? Huh? Yeah, yeah. That's how he. Yeah, that's how he got all his strength and stuff and whatever. Yeah, Jack. In fact, I'm, I'm almost certain because there weren't many Gaelic football pitches in Birmingham. But where my nan used to live, bless her, down Glebe Farm Road, when I was, I mean, I was um, she died when I was about seven or eight. But I remember yeah. going down there and me being a mad football fan, always a mad football fan. I looked. At, I remember looking at these the one day and going. What they used to be playing this funny ball and doing what they're doing, and I was told that it was like Gaelic football, and it always stuck in my head down Glebe Farm Road in uh, in in Birmingham, Glebe Farm. Yeah, and I think that's where Jack started playing his trade as a, as a kid. But, um, yeah, and then he went to Villa about about twelve, I think, something like yeah. that. Yeah. I'm sure this book could tell me more, so I'll give that a yeah. shout out. So, uh, uh, other books, another one for Legends Publishing, actually, um, to give a shout out. Um, it's called No Nay Never, uh, and it's about yeah. the role between Blackburn Rovers and Burnley. Yeah. So, and I, I've seen it a couple of times, and, uh, you know, there's lots of football rivals we've touched on, um, obviously, in Amsterdam, etc. Um, but this, the Lancashire derby, it's. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, heated, to say the least. It is quite brutal, that derby. Is I don't think a lot of people, you know, if you're, you're from that region, you understand it. But if you're not from that region, you, you kind of don't. But it is yeah. quite a brutal derby, isn't it? 
It is, it is, etc. And it's again a beautiful book, same legend publishing. You just know you're guaranteed to get a good looking book. This one's a, a right brick of a book as well. Uh, and it's got it's a mixture of also great pictures, about five it's what five hundred pages. Um but the rather been uh, Black Rivers of Burnley is amongst the fiercest of football. Uh, and it just talks about football on the cobbled streets of Victorian East Lancashire. Uh, and how uh, it's intense, often brutal, the contest where it's a, it, it literally the win is all important. And uh, I think we all know that as football fans, when you think of your rival, that game, it's like the fixture list when it comes out to start of the season, isn't it? You look for that game when, you got, when you're going to play your rivals, uh, the home and away, uh, who you're going to play at Christmas, <laughs> who you got on New Year, etc. But it stands out, doesn't it? But uh, no, it's a cracking ball. I don't think it's just for Blackburn or Burnley fans. If you're a football fan, I think it's just to gives you again another aspect in terms of um uh yeah, how important it is to them. So yeah, shout out for that book. I look forward to reading that. Um just um, before just before you move on to your next book, I've gotta say, I mean Blackburn Rovers, what a team they were in the early days. And back oh, in yeah. the sixties what a team Burnley Football Club were as well, wasn't they? Two great traditional football clubs in uh, in Lan- East Lancashire. Well, it's a hot bed of football, wasn't it? You know, if you go to like even North End, obviously go even further back, won't you? So, uh, uh, Invincibles. And, uh, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely cracking book there as well. Um, um, the Invincibles, but no, yeah, cracking. Um, uh, well, yeah, there's a number of teams all around that area, isn't there? So, and obviously into Manchester, etc., further afield. But no, great, um, great clubs, proud fan base. So, um, uh, shout out to uh, Conquers Editions, uh, and this is one of the books I'm reading at the moment. It's a celebration of '90s footballs. Uh, can we knock it? It's Sid Lambert and Chris uh, Skull. Uh, Sid Lambert is uh, very well known on Twitter. He's got the the his handle is the funny old game. So he's got thousands, thousands of, uh, and uh, the um, the Conquers Editions, um, the, who the, are the publishers, uh, they're linked to the Got Not Got Lost World um, books, um, which, um, yeah, there's many of them, but this particular book, Can We Not Knock It? Uh, it's all about the 90s, and it's just a brilliant book in terms of some of the stories. It really is, and some of the um, pictures as well. Uh, can we not knock it? I think it's. I think that's a, um, in reference to Graham Taylor yes. when he was in England. Do yeah, I not so, like that? Do I not like that? Do I not like that. Colton, Colton. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant documentary. Where's Colton? <laughs> it made it made you feel quite sad as well, Graham Taylor. Because what a what a guy he was. What an incredible manager. You know, the success he had in order to get him to there. And it was just a little bit ridiculed, wasn't it, buddy? The media at the time, um, but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cracking ball, and anyone from the nineties, you'll love it. And it's absolutely brilliant, really is. Some of the stories are here as well. It's a classic uh, uh, trip down memory lane. So um, yeah, and obviously it's the start of the the Premier League around then. Never knew it would get to quite the beast it is nowadays, of course. But uh, yeah, um, and a couple of other shout outs from Conquer Editions as well. There's flat caps and tangerine scarves. It's the biography of uh, Blackpool Football Club. Uh, again, it's a lovely story. It's again um, lovely presented book. Sorry, uh, and it's uh, it's basically yeah, it's a history. It's a biography of the club, um, but again, it's all around the imagery as well, uh, etc. Their floodlights. 
just before you Sorry? move on, their floodlights yeah. at Bloomfield Road, they um they come <laughs> from the Molyneux. Did they? Mm-hmm. Right. And also the boardroom, the original boardroom, I don't know if it's the, the same now, whether they've had it redeveloped, I don't know. But um was built from wood from one of uh, Lord Nelson's flagships. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I might have mentioned in here. See, I know I've got useless information. I don't know intelligent stuff. That means <laughs> <laughs> fascinating things, isn't it? How, yeah. how did it happen? Is always you think straight away. How did that happen then? How did the floodlights get from Molyneux to Blackpool? So, did he, do you know the answer, Gabby? Yeah, there was a, they were redeveloping the Molyneux, and they uh, they had them up there at uh, at uh, Bloomfield Road. And and one of the the flagships of Nelson, I can't remember the name of the ship, but it was yeah. uh, it was wrecked on the coast there, and they they took the wood and they used the wood from the shipwreck to uh, right. to make the uh, the boardroom there at um, at Blackpool. Excellent, mm. excellent. Uh, the last one I'll give a shout out for Conkers Editions is um, is one hundred and one Manchester City match worn shirts. Etc. So great book for obviously Man City fans, but also football geeks and uh, people who love a football shirt. It's it's I've I glanced through this and it's brilliant. It's really just taking through memories. You see the classic shirt. If you think straight away, you can think of a particular player uh, wearing that, like Colin Bell. Uh, you know what a player he was in, in that um, in the blue of uh, Manchester City, etc. But it's just a, a great um, yeah collection of um, uh, shirts for the years. Uh, and how they've just changed from I think you were saying earlier you didn't have a badge on them uh, once they did you now you've got a badge now you've got the advertising etc they're getting more and more uh, I don't know how to put it more designer aren't they let's say bit by bit so I'm not sure uh, oh, I think that new Manchester City kit that I watched the other night I mean it's almost like a, a top that you yeah. buy from the club shop I think it's absolutely awful but that yeah. iconic Manchester City kit with the um, the, the, the kind of the sash down yeah. it um, yeah. got an idea yeah. Malcolm Allison brought that in he definitely brought the colours to uh, to Crystal Palace because he changed the colours and the kit of Crystal Palace didn't he he was very yeah. instrumental an absolute pioneer as did Jimmy Hill with the uh, Sky Blue Revolution back in uh, the day when he took over at Coventry City I think Jimmy yeah. Hill and Malcolm Allison don't get the credit for what they actually done for football and for their football clubs in particular um, and done it in a way that I think it's fair to say got up people's noses at times but I think you must look at them with the respect that they deserve and should be given yeah absolutely absolutely but uh, great book great trip down memory lane through uh, uh, just unique I love these unique ideas of getting the history of the club from, literally through the shirts the war etc because we all remember our heroes don't we and what kind of they're wearing etc so uh Lots of Colin Bell. Um, and then just want to have a shout out before we move on is um, uh, another brilliant publisher. I put it along the lines of uh, Legends Publishing is um, DC Thompson. Right, uh, they're based, based up in Scotland and I've got a couple of their books here and they are right up there, right up there in my favourite books, really are, because these are coffee table books. So they're called, it's a series of books called uh, Lifting Over Turnstiles, Gabby. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen you promoting them, yeah. There's three books, isn't there? Yeah, volumes one, two, three. 
and I've got two and three here, and it's um, so uh, volume two. It's got a forward from Craig Brown. Um, Craig, yeah, Craig Brown, sorry, the, the old Scotland manager. But the images in there, um, so there's it's twofold. You know, it goes over both pages, uh, the whole pitch. You know, one I'm looking at here, but it's a, just a brilliant, brilliant picture book uh, in terms of going through the history, etc. Uh, and uh, it's both a glimpse in terms of inside the ground, outside the ground, and some of the images are just crazy. The front cover of Volume 3, uh, I'm looking at it now, you've literally got the people dragging people up <laughs> from the turnstiles, pulling them up over the wall to get into the ground, etc. You know, let's fair to say health and safety uh, is not a uh, high priority, let's say, in this picture. And what is even better in the picture, if you look closely, if anyone's looking at it, there's a policeman at the front who's literally looking the other way. He's thinking, I'm not getting involved. So what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm looking at a uh, granddad what was football like in the 70s, the book, yeah. the TV and the glasses yeah. and the coffee cup and the, the book on the uh, on the table. And I'm yeah. looking at the spine cup there at, uh, at Illsborough because it's Sheffield Wednesday uh, versus Santos when Pelly comes to town. And if you look yeah. at that spine cup there, and I've said to TC before, one of the greatest ends in football, and it's almost like a where's Wally picture. There are so many, there's thousands. I don't think anybody in Sheffield went to work or school that day. It's quite <laughs> incredible. And if you've got a policeman there, what the hell's that policeman gonna do? It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll just, just add on that though is the, the picture here I'm looking at is Handon Park. You know, this mm. place is incredible. Uh, and it actually has got here, Handon Park in 1960, before the floodlights were uh, erected, it had at its peak in 1937, which is staggering its capacity. Or could you have a guess? 149,000. How many? 149,000. No, it was 183,688. So that's not, a, not far off. Almost a quarter of a million people. Uh, you know, what, 70,000 short, but it's just been phenomenal. And then when you see the actual light, similar to that from, yeah, the cover at Hillsborough, kind of thing, you just, uh, they're just, how did, uh, yeah, 100, and, I read it out again, 183,388. I'm almost no certain, Andy, when um, mm. Eintracht Frankfurt played Real Madrid, would it be yeah. the 1961? final at Hampden Park. Yes. I'm sure yes. there was 149,000 there that day. That's why yeah. I said 149. Yeah. But, but they they used to cram them in there at the Hampden Park. They did. And it's just great pictures. You've got one of them where there's literally a couple of kids that have climbed up this um, bit. It's not really like a, well, it's a pylon, let's say, and they're literally hanging in the, the top areas going, mm. help safety. The, the mothers or the, the fathers will be looking up thinking, what on earth are they doing? But uh, Mothers uh, and fathers were probably there doing the bleeding same in them days. Do <laughs> 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 you know what I just think of 149,000? I think, was it Celtic against Leeds as well, if I remember? Probably um, was, yeah. yeah. Game. I, mean, I was at Hamden Park, I remember. Yeah. Uh, I was at... No, but of course that would have been at Celtic, wouldn't it? So, But again, they had huge crowds there, didn't oh. they? I mean, Scottish football back in them days, the yeah. attendances that they had 
uh, were 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 quite phenomenal. It was all it was always I'm sure even up to the seventies, you know, when it was hundred thousand at Wembley, it was hundred and twenty at Hamden. Yeah. You know, um, I'm sure could be because they used to play they used to play the cup final on the same day, didn't they? So at half time they'd go over to like the Scottish Cup final, the end of it, and they'd show you all the goals from the Scottish Cup final. And I'm yeah. sure there was always um, more in Scotland than than what there was in England. And of course, when the jocks used to come down, they'd take over Wembley as well. I remember as a as a young kid watching a game and saying to me, Dad, where's this? Dad, Amden or Wembley? It's at Wembley, son. <laughs> Blah, there's a lot of Scots there. <laughs> Travelling numbers, don't they? Oh, but, don't they just love the football. Football, it. isn't it? It's football in Scotland, not football, football. That's it, absolutely. So hopefully that's done it justice in terms of these books, though. Uh, volumes two and three, lifting over turnstiles. The, the pictures are just... Uh, Incredible, incredible. And, uh, yeah, when you see that volume of people, it's uh, staggering. So you think of those ones up front. Where is, how did they get to the toilet? So uh, there we you go. We didn't. We know. We <laughs> <didn't>. <laughs> it's not quite like new ground now, is it? <laughs> I mean, if you actually went, if you said to your mate there at the middle of the, of the goals, I'm going yeah. to the toilet, it'd take you a week to get there. You'd yes. just literally open it and just, do it as you, you know, standing. That's it. You have yeah. to. You, you you can't move. Yeah, absolutely. So what's Father okay. Christmas bringing you, mate? Have you got a Have you got a list of books that you want Santa to bring down your chimney? Uh, uh yeah, there's, a, there's always going to be a couple more. Yeah, I've uh, I've picked out, uh, and there's a number of books that's coming out in the new year as well. Uh, I suppose if I just give it a mention towards the ones that's coming in the new year. Absolutely. Coming to 2002. Um, there is, um, well, if I talk about the ones probably in the early part of next year, you got in um, January, February, March, there's a book coming out called Eddie Hapgood. Yep. I think I mentioned it on one of your... Um, yep, we have. Terry, haven't you? So, yep, uh, and again, someone that's not familiar to me. Um, Was he really. born in Swindon, if memory serves me right, without going through my notes? Or Bristol? Yes. So I swear he was a West Country lad, wasn't he? And, and was an icon in the 30s of both Arsenal and England, Eddie Upgood. I've got no idea, is it one of his relatives, daughter or, or something, granddaughter, that's wrote uh, Lynn, the book? Yeah, that's it, Lynn Upgood, yeah, his, uh, his daughter. daughter isn't it, but, yeah. That's mm. it. So, yeah, young unknown in Bristol became Arsenal yeah, England, and a national hero in the 1930s. So uh, uh, it just sounds a fascinating book. So it sounds a fascinating guy in terms of his history. Mm. except as well so um but um yeah so that's one of the books that's coming out in the new year looking forward to um there's there's going to be there's a couple of books that's going to be coming out in the new year as well about the fa cup because it's obviously been the 150th anniversary yeah uh, and so there's a book on the official history of the fa cup and there's one from uh, pitch publishing that's coming out as well uh which is more pictorial uh imagery around the, the fa cup uh, and one other shout out is for only because from, I know the area fairly well. It's called Foss against Lufts, uh, which is Leicestershire's forgotten football rivalry. Uh, right. With uh, Leicester Foss against Lufts, etc. So it's, uh, it sounds an intriguing uh, kind of book. Uh, but yeah, it's going back to the. I'm sure sure it's referring back to the Victorian days. Um, so. Uh, uh, I just love a, a rivalry from back back then. So um, yeah, a bit of potted history 
in terms of the area. So, um, but apparently they used to get crowds of ten thousand plus. So, but the Luffs now, they well, the for FC. I think they're now playing Leicestershire Senior League. Right. So, yeah, they've um, look at Leicester. They've gone and see now. Um, yeah, Premier League uh, established Premier League club, you could say now. Just shows you, know, you, doesn't it? How the one fall and the other one progress. Really, yeah. Quite incredible. There was a book that he was promoting uh, recently, Bristol City player. Oh, yes. Um, uh, oh, goodness, goodness, it's gone from my head. It'll come back in a minute. Give me a second. Uh, Jeff, oh, Jeff uh, Merrick. Jeff Merrick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, The Life with Robins and Beyond uh, by Neil Palmer. Neil Palmer's done a, a number of uh, excellent books uh, based around Bristol City. He did the... Uh, He's there. He's there. Uh, he's here. He's there. The Jerry Gow story, uh, but yeah, no, coming, got, yeah. that's it. It's coming out in February. Fella. Yeah, that's the same fellow, Neil Palmer. So yeah, uh, is as it says here, one of the most anticipated books on a player to ever pull on the red shirt of Bristol City. So uh, I'm not yeah, George... too familiar with um, with that lad, Merrick. Are you? No, not not overly myself. I'm sure. No, I'm not. Uh, it, it, when you see his photo, he's one of those. Like, I recognise him. Mm. I recognise. He was seen as one of the country's top defenders, um, but his life and career was thrown into turmoil. So uh, it sounds an interesting story because, um, uh, yeah, him, he, and seven other players were asked to rip up their contracts. Yeah, Chrissy they, Garland was one of them. I thought it was round that time. They literally yeah. ripped up the contracts and saved Bristol City Football Club, didn't they? But Chrissy Garland was one of them. Yeah, yeah. I've got an so idea think... in them days as well. Joe Royal was playing for Bristol City. Yeah, you might be right. Mm. Yeah, it's on there. But again, interesting, really interesting stories. So, uh, but there's many others that's coming out next year. If you go further into the year as well, there's um, Jonathan Wilson, one of the great writers, has got a book that's coming out next year. I think it's towards the autumn time. Where it's called Two Brothers, and it's a dual biography of both Jack and Bobby Charlton. Okay. Um, that'll be really fascinating. So, because uh, I've not seen a book or heard of a book where it's actually the both of them, Jack and Bobby. I've seen lots of, um, obviously, they've done autobiographies themselves. Sure, there's so, been one before, Jack and Bobby, if memory serves me right. Yeah, well, I'm, do you know, the part that, that it doesn't mm. spring to my head, so uh, I'm probably not doing it justice, but, um, but yeah, so that'll be an interesting book uh, that's coming out um, next year. Um, so, looks like it's going to be Another busy year in football books, certainly. Uh, and one, actually, one other I'll give you a shout out is because uh, is the called High Noon, and it's about the Falklands, the Hand of God, and the Gold of a Century, and it's by a guy called Michael Gibbons. Uh, he's a great author. He's been involved in a number of books, and it's the story of the famous the World Cup's quarter final in '86 between England and Argentina, and that um, very colourful and glorious looking Azteca Stadium in Mexico City. So um, it's all about the tense, obviously the tense political situation occurring so many years after the Falklands and what have you. And obviously Diego Maradona just took over, didn't he? Uh, in um, one way or another. <laughs> but, uh, in terms of an incredible moment and another moment where it's incredible for different reasons, isn't it? The hand of God moment. So Yeah, it was. It. I mean, that was England's first game against Argentina uh, since the, uh, the Falklands War. And... Yeah. Argentina, I don't think we're ever going to lose that game. Um, I think that they, well, again, you know, 
when countries go to war, I think it's a sad indictment of humanity. And Argentina, to this day, I believe, I've done a, a, um, an interview with Blind Dave Healy many years ago. He's right. an absolute legend of the, these areas. And he's yeah. run many marathons, etc. I mean, he's blind. Um, always makes me laugh that the lad that he runs with, I couldn't tell you who it is, but we, we all do know of Blind Dave Healy. And he's on Talksport quite a lot. And oh. and he okay. was he was doing, um, I think, seven marathons in seven different continents or something ridiculous. Dave was, and I'd, I'd phoned him up, and he said, oh, Gab, how you doing? Where are you, Dave? He said, I'm on the top of my shed on the roof, just putting the felt on. And I'm like, <laughs> you can't see, you're blind. This fella is incredible. But they they got wind, because he, he was doing these marathons, and they got wind that he was flying into Argentina airspace, and I can't remember the exact details, but the Argentinians made him land, I'm sure I'm correct in saying, made him land on the Falklands. Right. And it was a political potato that they were playing with because at that time, and this was quite recently, Argentina couldn't visit the Falklands. There was no um, commercial flights from Argentina to the Falklands so they could yeah. visit the graves of the war dead. And yeah. they kind of used that as kind of leverage to see if they would be able to do that because again it's like British territory isn't it although the Falklands apparently nobody actually owned it nobody actually wanted it back in in the olden days yeah but the British yeah. type of claimed it and then when they invaded it it all kicked off but I think that game then was the first one and I think that really the Argentinians backs were up and I don't think they were ever going to um, lose that game. And I think when Maradona punched it in, it was oh. almost for the Argentinian nation. And as he perceived it, it was the hand of God goal. But the other goal was incredible. Steve, I just still got his shirt, by the way, hasn't I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, not just there's a few of them, isn't Peter Reid, etc. He took on all uh, oh, them uh, Magical moment, wasn't it? So, uh, again, Diego Maradona is just an incredible player. You know, very friends like that, especially when it's against your team. Yeah, where you know you're witnessing something. You're know, like, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, you put your hands together. But as a football fan, you just you know greatness when you see it, don't you? Oh, you certainly and, do. And no one greater. Well, fewer greater than Maradona. I think you'd have to put Maradona up there with Cruyff and the likes of Grincher and Pele and stuff and, and and some of these young kids that haven't seen uh, Diego Maradona play football by my, my, my word what a player he was uh, come over to England I think first time in 1980 I remember the, yeah. the game we beat them 3-1 in fact yeah. my dad and my brother went to that game for some stupid reason I declined the offer of, of huh? a ticket but I was Maradona mad in those days because we had a yeah. lot of press cuttings about this young Argentinian 16, 17-year-old kid. And that day at Wembley, he he missed. He just went past the post, but it was almost identical to the goal that he scored in 1986. Maradona was an absolute genius, a legend, and uh, 
and my tea is ready as uh, as we talk. So it's time to say goodbye. It's time for me to have a top up. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Andy, and thank you everybody for listening. Excellent, and Merry Christmas to you all. I hope Santa brings you the football books that you're after, and we'll uh, see you in the new year. Well, the one thing's for certain, Andy. If Father Christmas brings me the football books that I wish, I certainly won't be reading them in 2022 because I'll still be on page 106 of Grandad What Was Football Like in the 70s. Excellent. Next year, that's one of your uh, New Year, um, what do they call it? Resolutions. Resolutions, that's it, to finish your book. Yeah. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Thanks. Cheers, Andy. Merry Christmas, mate. And we will reconvene early January to uh, see what you've read over the uh, festive season and what else is coming out. And guys, please keep checking out Andy's uh, sites on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, MyFootballBooks, or look onto his website, MyFootballBooks.com, subscribe and get this wonderful newsletter and get buying the football books written by some of the wonderful historians and authors that we've got promoting and writing about the wonderful, beautiful game, which is Association Football. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.